1: Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we're watching and discussing every episode of Buffy one at a time, sometimes more than once. In this case, here we are to discuss more about the gift, more, more gifts. More,
2: more, more. Uh, Jen, listen, I want to preface this by saying that I love you all so much, and I'm so happy to be here in this episode, but Jenny can attest to the fact that over the last week I've been like, why did I do this to myself? (laughs) Why did I add another episode uh, to Mm -hmm. myself? But but, I mean, it's worth it. In the end, always, it is worth it. But, um,
1: you know. Let's make a bonus episode, she she said. said. It'll be so fun, she she said. said. Oh, but it is. It is very
2: fun, and here's why: because in this conversation, we have um, four things to offer to you. One is a conversation that I had with Jen Malkowski, who you may remember from The Body. Uh, we will give Jen a proper introduction before we go into my conversation with them, but it's pretty fucking great, and it focuses on death as her gift and um, the moment that Buffy jumps off of that tower. We have a conversation with Mac McDade. For the first time, Mac is in our ears. Huzzah! Bringing us all sorts of feelings about Buffy herself and also Spike. Spike,
1: I love you. Spike, so dreamy. Spike, you trench go.
2: Uh, Last, but certainly nowhere near to least, uh, we have a, a conversation with Latoya Ferguson, who you well know by now is going to be coming into our podcast feed, bringing with her season three of Angel on Top.
1: Oh, hell yes. Kristen, I don't mean to nitpick, but you said we had four things to offer them, and that was only three. (laughs) You're right. The fourth thing is you. We have you to offer
2: to you. Ah, yes. (laughs) We have emails that you sent in. We have uh, questions that you sent in specific to the gift. We will have a uh, longer, more expansive Season 5 mailbag for you in a few weeks. But this is specific to the gift. We have a few of you who wrote in with your experiences of watching the episode for the first time. We have a few of you who wrote in with questions. So we're, that's what you're going to get from Jenny and I right now and in between Aha! those conversations. So I did have four things and I know how to do math.
1: math. Now, speaking of math, let's do a brief refresher on percentages with the results of the final sexual attention awards of season five. In fourth place, not for Anya's lack of trying, it's Anya and Xander with 9% of the vote. That's, uh, I assume, 100% of the vote for Anya and then negative 91% of the vote for Xander. <laughs> uh, in second place, in second place, it's uh, pairing as old as time. It's Spike and Blood with 18% of the vote. Spike and uh, the, the fluid that flows through human veins got twice the votes that Anya and Xander got in second place with 25% of the vote. Buffy and Glory, who, you know, might have deserved better if it weren't for the yeah. absolute, indisputable, uh, dominating power of our winners with 48% of the vote. It's Buffy and Spike. Buffy and Spike. Congratulations. What a way to end season five. You know what I mean,
2: Jenny? What a way. Now, Mm -hmm. if you don't know this already, you probably do. But if you don't know already, every season at the end of the season, because she loves us and because she loves you... Emily McLongstreet, The Wonderful, runs a sexual tension award showdown, which means you get to vote on all 22. Uh, In this case, I believe it was 23 because, Jenny, she did put me in the running against you specifically, and I won, um, just so you know. Um, Hey, congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) But you can vote in four rounds. We're in the third round now. You can find it at bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash s t a that stands for sexual tension awards it will take you to where we are in the quiz and uh in just a couple of days i think we will find out who is the crowning champion of sexual tension in season five thank you emily wow. always 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 just like doing uh the lord's work out there all hail brackets McLong Street. thank you for your service <laughs> We mentioned that you're going to hear from Mac in this episode. Jenny and I are in conversation with Mac. And you've heard a bit over the last few months about our work with Mac, who is facilitating our anti-racism reading and discussion groups, and who is also consulting with us in the Buffering universe, helping us create an anti-racist base here at Buffering the Vampire Slayer. And Alba, who is our uh, new producer, working alongside Jenny and I in the production end of things, watching the episodes. Uh, She's watching season six with me right now, as we get ready to jump into that season. Alba and Mac are going to have a conversation with each other, and that conversation is going to air next week on September 16th, um, and it's just going to be the two of them talking about coming into the universe here, coming into the buffering universe, their goals, um, what they hope to achieve with their work with us, uh, and just some of their thoughts and feelings about what the experience has been like so far. So I'm really, really excited to listen to that episode. Two weeks later, on September 30th, we will have a season five mailbag. Uh, <laughs> normally I have like 80 emails or so that i have starred going into a mailbag i have like over 200 right now so everybody please wish me luck Um, i'm gonna do my best (laughs) good luck (laughs) to curate a mailbag for you uh and then so you all know we will be back come hell or high water with season six episode one on october the 7th and then we're off to the fucking races again aren't we jenny here we go Hey, um. Also, Jenny, you make this thing. It's called music, and we have an album that's ready for pre-order, don't we? Oh yeah,
1: yes. Yeah, songs from season five. The buffering. The Vampire Slayer musical experience <laughs> is uh, ready for launch. <laughs> it is in the chamber, awaiting its expulsion into oh, the realm of the living. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, the album
2: Songs from Season 5 is available in our store. You can find that by going to com. Just click on store. The CD, the physical CD, will be available in our U.S. and our U.K. store. Again, limited quantities, so snag them if you want the physicals. And if you don't want to get physical, physical, you can get digital, digital. Wow. That's right. So if you want to get a digital copy of the songs, they will be releasing on Friday, October 9th, because in the music industry, which I am a part of, we release music on Fridays. That's the day uh-huh. to release music. Friday, October 9th. What a day. Also, um, just a heads up, you should probably tune into that mailbag because we're going to announce a live show. Uh, oh, yeah. The mailbag. So, you know.
1: Okay. So I'm going to start. Yeah. I'm going to read an email. Yeah. Yeah? Wow! Here it is, our first freaking email in this episode from Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay writes, Do you think Faith knew slash felt Buffy's sacrifice when it happened? Did anyone go and tell her? Stop forgetting Faith, Scoobs. I wish she had been included, considered, or cast in the season finale somehow. Mm. Yeah, Lindsay. Yeah. Justice for Faith. Where's Faith? Why doesn't anyone ever care about her? Well, also, like, I, what I like about
2: Lindsay's question is it's kind of, like, twofold. It's, like, one, what the fuck? Why does no one ever think about Faith? And two is, like, do you think Faith sensed that? Like, do you think that because there are two Slayers that she somehow knows what's up without even being told?
1: I kind of think maybe she does.
2: Right? I think she does, too. Um, I mean, like, if you can speak to each other in, like, weird dreams with cats and, like, coded 730 to dawn messages, I think you know if the Mm -hmm. other one has died, I would think.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're inextricably uh, tethered to one another for all time. They
0: are, aren't (laughs) they?
2: (laughs) I also think that uh, Eliza Dushku is probably not able. Like, if they had, pro- if they had wanted to bring Faith back, they probably wouldn't have been able to at this point because I looked it up and Bring It On came out in August of two thousand. This episode came out May of two thousand and one. It seems like Eliza's career was probably in a very particular place at the time that this was airing. Oh
1: yeah. So maybe Busy Lady they...
2: Plaza. Yeah, Busy Lady Plaza indeed. Maybe she maybe she did get asked. Maybe um the writers' room at least if not the Scoobies did think of Faith, but it was not possible.
3: Mhm mhm.
2: Okay, I have uh an email, Jenny. This email comes from Melissa, and Melissa says, "One thing that always stood out to me aside from the crushing way that Spike breaks down upon seeing Buffy's body was that both times that Buffy dies in the show, she tells another character to, quote, tell Giles. In season one's Prophecy Girls, she tells Miss Calendar that, quote, when he wakes up, tell him, I don't know. Think of something cool. Tell him I said it. Now, four (laughs) years later, Buffy has grown as both a slayer and a woman. And we as the viewer and the only people to witness both quotes besides the chosen one herself are able to mark that growth in her second set of last words to her watcher, quote, Tell Giles I figured it out and I'm okay. She's no longer a 16 year old who doesn't want to die. She's the Slayer. <laughs> Woof, Melissa. Woof. <clears throat> There's so many. You'll hear Jen and I talk about um, another parallel that I didn't even know existed until I spoke with them. And I feel like every time we've had a conversation about this episode since the first one, more and more like, did you know that this overlaps with that has happened? Like, there's so much that you can draw from the gift back to either Prophecy Girl or other moments in the series that
1: came before. I just have a premonition that I'm going to get a lot of things in my eye over the course of this episode. You should really get that taken care of, Jenny. I know. I need safety goggles to make this (laughs) pod. Uh, Okay. Here's another email from julia
2: a lot of you sent in your experiences of watching the gift for the first time and so um we just picked three uh to share in these like little interstitials um so each one will have one of your experiences with watching this episode and like what it means to you specifically
1: now that's what i call producing (laughs) great idea (laughs) uh okay here's the first one of those from julia Uh, Julia writes, this episode is everything to me. Growing up, my parents were always split, so I knew nothing but two households with two separate sets of rules. My dad was much more lax than my mom and a big sci-fi nerd, so I grew up playing with pewter figurines and reading (laughs) Piers Anthony. From a young age, my dad begged me to watch Buffy, but I was very self-censored as a child, and at eight years old in 1998, I told him I thought I was too young for the mature content. (laughs) Eventually, he broke me down, and it became our tradition to watch his VHS recorded episodes of Buffy and Angel each weekend. Oh, I know. On the car ride to his house on Friday afternoons, I would beg him to tell me what happened (laughs) in each episode prior to my watching. I love spoilers. There were a few episodes he wouldn't spoil for me, The Gift being one of them. I went into this episode at 11 years old, not knowing what to expect. One year after The Gift premiered, my dad died unexpectedly of a heart attack. It happened on a Sunday— after a fun weekend of us being together, as always. Life was different for me after that, but I've always had Buffy to connect with my dad. I write to you now because in the 12 years I had of knowing my awesome dad, I only saw him cry twice. Yes, I know, the patriarchy. (laughs) Two times in 12 years, and I can remember each time feeling so close to him, to his emotions. The first time I saw my dad cry was during Becoming Part 2, with Angel whimpering, Buffy seconds before she plunges a sword through his heart. We cried together for Buffy and for the weight of the world on her shoulders. The second and final time I saw my dad cry was here during the gift, starting at it's summer's blood, just like mine, and reaching its peak as Spike cries over Buffy's body. I don't know if words can convey what this episode means to me. I now work as a children's grief therapist, working every day alongside bereaved children, having walked their walk myself. It's because of losing my father that I know how to help in this capacity. And it feels like the best gift a father could have ever given his daughter a career. It's almost like death is my gift.
2: I know, it's a lot. Julia! I should have gotten those <laughs> goggles a little earlier, Jenny. I know. <laughs> Yeah, Julia, thank you so much for sharing this. Um, you know, everybody has uh, sent us such incredible stories in this one, as you could tell by Jenny barely making it through the reading of that. I know uh, what you're talking about. Yeah, it was really, really powerful. And also, Julia let us know that um, she works at Olivia's House, a grief and loss center for children, which is in Pennsylvania. Um, and so, you know, uh, if you want to look more into that. That is there for you. And thank you for the work that you do, Julia. And thank you for sending us Mm -hmm. that email, uh, which I thought would not only be really powerful to share with all of you listeners, but also um, a great way to sort of jump into my conversation with Jen Malkowski, which, of course anchors on this quote uh, or this like recurring quote, recurring theme uh, in season five, which is death as Buffy's gift. If you don't know from our episode on the body, Jen is a professor at Smith College um, and they are also the author of Dying in Full Detail, Mortality and Digital Documentary. So they have a very specific know-how about um, death and dying As it is portrayed in media. Uh, And so we have a conversation, which I think is a really beautiful bookend to our conversation around the body um, about some of of their thoughts on this episode and their thoughts on this quote and this theme in general. I also want to uh, give you all, as listeners, a content warning. Uh, Jen and I do discuss suicide in this interview. So if you want to skip the interview and the conversation, it is about 17 and a half minutes long. So if you jump forward and you don't want to hear that, Conversation, you can about 17 and a half minutes. Um, and for those of you who do want to listen to our conversation, how about we step on over into it? Oh my goodness, Jen Malkowski, I told you I was going to get you back on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Jen Malkowski is here with us today. Uh, Jen, you are a professor at Smith College. Uh, You really have done a lot of deep dives research-wise into death and its representation in media. And you spoke with us uh, about the body this season. And I just want to tell you, listeners, if you have not heard um, my conversation with Jen for the body, please go back and listen to it. We actually released it the same day as we released our episodic discussion because it was so so powerful and just so wonderful to hear you. And so, Jen, you know, when Buffy was like, oh, death is my gift. Death is my gift. You know, I thought, well, who better to call, really?
3: (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is a a supernatural show with a lot of violence. I'm probably not going to be out of work doing guest spots for you guys. (laughs) That's true. A lot of people are dying all the time on this show. Talk to us. Just
2: jump in here because I know that you can and will uh, sure. wonderfully. And, and tell us sort of what your connection is between like the conversation that we had with the body and that death. And then here we have Buffy dying um, and this message of death is your gift.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing for me to say, the body and the gift, these two episodes toggle back and forth for me as my number one and number two mm. favorites in the whole series. Like this is a show that does death well. I really think both of these episodes are like masterpieces of television. And I think they're both really brilliant portrayals of death in their own way, um, which might be surprising given what I said about the body. So we get to that. Um, But I think one thing to note is that this episode references the body in a number of ways. It does it directly with Buffy saying, I wish my mom were here, Mm -hmm. things like that, references to Joyce and her death in the episode. But if you watch, there are like other kind of like super interesting, subtle references. And the one I really noticed in this rewatch was um, when Buffy and Dawn are up on top of the tower and Buffy is telling Dawn what she's going to do. Right. Mm. We actually have like a direct callback to the shot where she tells Dawn that Joyce has died. Mm. It's the same orientation of their two bodies. It's the same like kind of touching her like Dawn crying The sound is cut out in both of them so that we don't hear right away what's being said. Um, So it's this moment that's mirrored in, I think, a very intentional way of telling Dawn this heartbreaking news about the death of a loved one. Mm -hmm. But this time, it's Buffy herself. And it invites us to compare those two deaths in a way that I think um, we naturally do with their proximity in the show.
2: So, Are you just I'm sorry, you've rendered me speechless. I like t- I did not notice that <laughs> parallel, and so like I know I'm supposed to be like hosting a podcast here, but listen, I have feelings too and <laughs> you just gave, like that parallel, realizing it for the first time, as I'm sure some of mm. our listeners just did hearing you say that um I had like full body chills because this show it's like, God, how many times can you watch it, and it just keeps giving you things that you didn't have before. Totally.
3: I mean to like just to make you feel better. I've probably seen this episode over a dozen times, yeah. and it was just last night watching it again, being like, "crap, I got to think of some smart things to say for this <laughs> podcast." <laughs> that I actually noticed that visual yeah. callback, yeah, to that moment. Wow. So I think it, you're absolutely right that there's just so much built into the show. You can discover these new gems mm-hmm. watching it again for the twelfth time.
2: I don't want to take you off your course um, because I know that you have a lot mm-hmm. to share with us, but. Something that has come up a lot, um, both from listener feedback and just like, you know, touched upon in our conversation is the is the phrasing of death as your gift. And so, again, like if you want to dig into that later, we can. But Mm -hmm. this idea of death being a gift and is it the gift that Buffy is giving to us? Is it a gift that Buffy is given? Like what I would love to hear your thoughts there, too.
3: Right. And it's such a nice, um, phrase that the writing team played with in this season because it has so many resonances. I think the fake out is we're supposed to think a gift, like a talent, right? She has a talent for delivering death for killing. I think, you know, the revelation in this episode, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be that death, like Buffy's gift. She gives death as a gift, her own death as a gift to Dawn and the world to save it. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. Um, But I think, you know, maybe a more interesting reading uh, is that, you know, it's a gift she's receiving. This is where one of the darkest parts of the episode in the series comes in for me, Mm -hmm. because I think there's a really deep resonance with suicide Mm -hmm. in the way that Buffy dies, despite all the themes of um, heroism, Mm -hmm. right? Um, At this moment in in the arc of her character, she's so emotionally overwhelmed and overstretched She has this endless chain of crises that fall to her to solve. She's, uh, you know, she's lost so much. She's grieving so hard. She has this support network of friends, but it's stretched so thin with everything that's going on. Um, I think in a way, you know, the thought of death is presented here as um, a relief to Buffy. Mm -hmm. You can see that in this moment that she realizes that she can die instead of Dawn Mm -hmm. You get that shot where she turns she sees the sunrise um and just that feeling of calm right um i think it's useful to compare sarah michelle geller's performance here and honestly emmy for sarah right like god please this episode (laughs) that that scene but also the conversation with giles um (sighs) uh, at the magic box earlier she's so good at what she needs to portray here but if you look at her in that moment that she turns and she sees that sunrise um think back to the moment in becoming part 2 yeah. when she sees that portal to hell opening behind angel okay. it's a really similar again a really like mirrored um kind of physical arrangement mm-hmm. uh you know in terms of how the scene is shot and in becoming part 2 it's this paralyzing unthinkable horror right she's going to have to kill a loved one to save the world. Um, But here we just get this wash of, like, peace, this end to struggle um, when she realizes she's facing her own death.
2: That look that you have noted, and I think we, like, noted but not nearly enough in our discussion in the episode, but that look of, of relief on her face is one that I don't know that we've ever seen before in the series, which, like... Is so powerful from a character standpoint, but like to your Emmy for Sarah point, the we need to craft an Emmy together as listenership and mail it to Sarah Michelle Gellar, because
3: it's just stunning. Right. You will know, come in the mail with her many sexual attention <laughs> awards.
2: Yes. It'll be a heavy package. <laughs> Look out, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: No, I think she's she's just amazing in this episode. Um, I mean, always, but this is is a real kind of peak of something for her here. But I think that look also brings us back to the previous episode, The Weight of the World, right? We have that, like, moment that's repeated and repeated where she puts the book on the shelf. When she says, what she describes to Willow is that she kind of allowed herself to experience the relief she would feel if she just let Dawn die, yeah. right? And she says something like, I can't remember the exact phrase, but like, and then it could be done. Like I could be done. But here she discovers this different escape clause. She can die herself and be done, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what you see, I think, at this moment, as much as you might also see a kind of noble heroism. Mm -hmm. It's a a psychological need for her that she's acting on as well. Mm -hmm. And I think if you do read this death as... um, a suicide or as kind of suicide adjacent, there are some troubling aspects um, to the episode and the way that it glorifies this act as heroic, mm-hmm. right? Um, these tie in with a lot of psychology research about the potentially harmful effects of certain kinds of media portrayals of suicide. Mm-hmm. I think as a shorthand, you can kind of think of the show. 13 Reasons Why, as the poster child for all the ways you should not depict suicide (laughs) in media, um, if you need a primer on that. But um, yeah, I mean, the suicide stuff here, to me, it's a really interesting theme to build in for Buffy's character and and to show what she's kind of struggling with on a mental health level um, and where she is at this very weary juncture in her journey. But I also do just want to mention that there are some potential problems of playing out that storyline on a kind of ethical level here.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and like, where is that line? I mean, obviously I, I agree with you that the line is wiggly and, and without um spoiling anything, I will say that, that line that is wiggly here gets a hell of a lot wigglier uh, as we move forward. Uh, and perhaps we can have you back again, Jen, to talk to us uh, as we continue to lose our footing in what are we talking about? Uh, but this episode really roots it, you know, in many ways, Agile is probably giving us the, the line itself, right? Um, like, Buffy would never do this when he kills Ben and, um, uh-huh. you know, essentially saying, like, Buffy is this hero. And this is, you wrote in your email to me you know you used the phrase like a true hero's death um right and so like what does separate one from the other um what makes this one thing and not the other or is there a way to even mm-hmm. separate the two
3: mm-hmm. i mean i think you can think of this as a hero's death you can think of it as kind of a suicide you can think of it as you know, one and the other, um, there's a lot of ways to read it. And I, I think that's, you know, as always, that's what Buffy does so well, is it builds in these subtleties um, and these kind of different resonances right. that are so rich to talk about. Right. But I'll come back to the the hero's death, or like the other main thing I want to say here in comparing the episode to the body. Yeah. So when I was on your show before, I praised the body, and many people have said this for this really stark and raw depiction of natural death in an unglamorized way that's totally atypical Mm -hmm. of mainstream film and television. Um, I think the gift gives us supernatural death in a totally glamorized way (laughs) that's very typical of mainstream (laughs) film and television, right? It's part of this (laughs) mythic template that the show references. We have like the noble white knight Buffy Climbing the tower to save the princess Dawn. <laughs> and you can look at all the costuming details, build this in. We even have a dragon that flies I was by. Say, like, it's, there's referencing, dragon. <laughs> <laughs> it's referencing very old um, narrative tropes yeah, for sure. Yeah. And when we actually get to the moment of Buffy's death, it's heroic, it's sublimely beautiful the way it's shot. It happens in slow motion, it has this swelling emotional score over it. And Angel's death in becoming, too, you know, the the sacrifice Buffy makes by killing him was presented in a very similar way. So, all those things I just mentioned are all the things that I said was so great about the body stripping away, right? That made it so powerful. And yet, I think the gift is also a really powerful and really valuable portrayal of death. Um, It's not a break at all from the usual format of Buffy or of television, but I think it's the pinnacle of it. It's this totally exemplary execution of these very old conventions of the hero's sacrifice.
2: It's just so great to hear you talk. Do you know that? Do you understand <laughs> that? I hear Play the Listener, and I'm just going to give voice to what everybody's feeling right now, which is like, keep talking.
3: <laughs> I got to tell all my family members that <laughs> they hear me talk too much. <laughs> But I, you know, just to close that out, I think as much as I said last time that the body was something we need as this kind of portrayal of death's realism, I also think unrealistic portrayals of dramatic deaths like Buffy's in The Gift are psychologically useful. Um, the realities of human mortality are very, very hard to face. We all know that. Um, we know that for ourselves. We know that in the face of losing loved ones. Um, episodes like the body try to break us out of the denial we often experience and and help us, like guide us in confronting death. Mm-hmm. But episodes like the gift give us this comfort of fiction, this vision of an individual death that's really grand and that really means something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's not as revolutionary an episode as the body, but it's definitely no less skillfully crafted. Um, to me, when I watch this episode, it's like Buffy dies an epic death to save the world. We cry. I mean, I cry. I assume you oh, cry. I cry. we all cry. Oh, yeah. We
2: all cry. I cry. You cry. <laughs> <And> it... <laughs> we all cry for the gift.
3: <laughs> and it, it feels really simple. It feels really good. It's a, it's a good feeling. And I think there's no shame in actually just needing that from our fiction right. sometimes. Right.
2: Yeah, I was actually thinking about that this morning. Just like life, you know, like you do when you wake up, you're like, "Whoa, life!" <laughs> but like, you know, the the I think part of what you're speaking to right now too is that like we do have to deal with these very real deaths and r- you know real losses in our life. But we also have to like get up and to quote Buffy, keep living. And I think that like episodes like this and metaphors and you know fantastical stories like this episode. Um At least for me, resonate in a way that does help like it does help me take the power of this episode to just keep fighting to stand up and continue to face the world you know and and like that I think is the other side of the reality of like sitting in a hospital room with a loved one um, and saying goodbye
3: absolutely that's kind of where the episode leaves us, right. Mm. Um, so, you know, without saying too much, I'll just note everything about the gift, where we leave things here at Buffy's death, I think thematically and tonally will be so boldly undercut in season six. I can't wait to hear you and Jenny talk about it. I hope you'll refer back to this episode as like this really stark contrast um to everything that's coming up because this episode ends and you just have to think Ugh. where do we go from here where do right? you
2: go oh no <laughs> <laughs> i i cannot thank you enough i Hope that you come back to us uh, in season six. Um, I'm sure that there will be some dying uh, there, <laughs> you know, just like, you know, rough <laughs> guess uh, if I had to guess. But it is it's just such an honor to have you um, on the podcast and to get to hear you talk. I, um, I know that our listeners feel the same as I do, like I just said, and just um, drawing some of these connections that it's almost like and, and I'm sure you feel this way as as a professor, right, that like the lines are kind of there in our minds somehow. but you can't really make complete sense of them. And then you just whoosh right in here and kind of like throw a light on, on those connections in a way that's, that's beautiful. So thank you so much
3: for talking to us uh, about this. Of course. (laughs) Of course. And I think, um, you know, one of my favorite things about being a professor is that there's no authority. There's no one to say this is the right way to interpret Mm. this, right? I can throw something out there, but it's so cool to watch like the process of meaning making happen Mm. in the buffering community. And that's something I really value about the whole enterprise, just talking through the show together. So powerful.
2: Uh, Listen, I hope that, like, your day is full of things that aren't talking about death. You know, like, I know you enjoy it, but, you know, <laughs> enjoy your life uh, today. And and I just want to let the listeners know, um, you know, you probably have learned about Jen through listening to them on The Body. But all of the information you need to learn more about their work um, is in the show notes today. And, Jen, thank you again. And, uh, you know, we'll see you, I hope, in season six.
3: Yeah, you know, wishing long life to everyone on in the cast of characters. Maybe <laughs> I'll never be back. You know, this could be the last time. No that's
2: actually, that's the shift that you were talking about tonally is actually that. It's just like no <laughs> one dies in
3: season seven. No one six ever dies again. Yeah, so yeah great. absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on the show again, Kristen. Of Christa. course.
2: Jen, I'm telling you. Yeah, what a what a
1: fantastic conversation. Good job both of you.
2: I mean, I I didn't really do much of anything except for listen, but um I I just, you know, I we talked about this in the interview, but you will definitely be hearing more from Jen as long as they will grace us with their presence because um I simply just love the way that their way of talking about things makes my brain explode, you know? Yeah. Uh yeah, I do. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Okay, so before we meander over into the land of Mac McDade, uh, we have a few more of your emails and stories to share. The first thing that I'm going to share with you is a note from Meredith, which is an experience with watching this episode. And instead of it being an experience watching this episode for the first time, uh, it's Meredith's experience of watching it with us. Meredith says, I want to thank you both for guiding us through season five with such care and for encouraging me to slow down and savor the season for the first time in 19 years, as suggested by Paste's article, How Rewatch Podcasts Bring the Fight to Binge Culture. I've been watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer since 1997 when I was nine years old. By 2005, I had all the seasons on DVD. I watched them repeatedly, but I always rushed. When I started listening to Buffering, you were already well into season two, and I didn't rewatch seasons one to three because I knew them well enough to follow along. I started watching alongside you and Angel on Top in seasons four and one because I hadn't seen Angel quite as many times. Taking season five one episode at a time really allowed me to see and consider Buffy's arc in a way I'd never given myself the time to do before. In your episode for Listening to Fear, you spoke about the conversation Buffy and Joyce have about Dawn and later read someone's email about it, too. I had a lot of those same thoughts as you both and the email writer, but I also wanted to point out the connection between that conversation, Joyce's death, and Buffy's stance in The Gift— Buffy promised Joyce she would take care of Dawn, and she fulfills that promise here. Moving slowly through season five allowed me to fully absorb and understand just how exhausted Buffy was and that she would be ready to give her gift by the end of it. Gosh dang, what a perfect season of television.
1: So I thought this was so
2: cool because, you know, we do. We consume things so differently than we consumed them in the 90s and the early aughts um, when it comes to TV and We get this totally incredible experience of not only watching things slowly, but watching them in so many ways. It's like, we'll watch the whole season and then we watch the episode to watch it and then we watch it to take notes and sometimes we'll watch it another time to prepare for a segment and, you know, we're seeing it. And then then we get like conversations like these with Jen and Mac and Latoya, which bring even more to the table for conversations. So just really cool to know how we've factored into your experience, Meredith, and... Mm. Also, really yeah. important, really important point with Dawn and like jo- and Buffy's promise to Joyce that she would protect her.
1: Well. Uh, here's another, yet another email with a really easy question, just a nice softball question for me. <laughs> Jenny, can you please explore the music of the gift in particular sacrifice and tell us why it rips our hearts out? Well, I can try. Uh, as we discussed earlier in the season, Christoph Beck was not composing for the vast majority of season five, right? Uh, but he is back for the finale. Um, I wonder if that was arranged when it was, when like at a certain point when they still thought it was going to be the series finale mm. and they just like really wanted Christoph to come back and, and uh tie that bow yeah um i also wonder jenny i know this is your question but i also yeah what the hell
2: <laughs> i just wonder if because of so like because of how much parallel and how many connections there are to not only prior episodes of this season but also all the way back to prophecy girl if it was one of those things where like they were collaborating then and they knew that this episode was you know like if christoph had had ideas oh, yeah before they knew when this episode was even going to happen
1: yeah i think that's that's highly possible. It could have just already been composed as kind of the series closing theme. Um, I think what makes Christoph Beck score really work for me, like when it's when it's really knocking shit out of the park. It's interesting because, like you know, as modern like pop rock music listeners, uh, that you know many of us are we're used to a verse and a pre-chorus and a chorus and a verse and a pre-chorus and a chorus and a bridge and a chorus out maybe a guitar song (laughs) Um, but score and composition is is uh doesn't adhere to the same structural business what i think you know like they find a theme and then they expand on it but like the score is often more you know through composed feeling more like linear You start here and you end there and there's Mm. not like this sort of this structure of like, and here's the hook again and here's the hook again. So what I think really, really like when Christoph's uh, scoring is at its most devastating is when he has truly nailed a very simple, striking, resonant, melodic phrase right up front. And then he kind of just like expands on it, but it doesn't have to like Mm. be highly like it doesn't have to keep referring to that theme in a very direct way for example and close your eyes the buffy angel theme right we have come on now yeah okay and then for sacrifice similarly uh devastating in a very similar devastation served up in a similarly like like simple in air quotes feeling package we have Da, 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 da. you know um whenever he's picking out a spare uh deeply upsetting melody in uh the right hand on the piano and then playing maybe some <laughs> ascending <laughs> chords in his left hand you know it's you know that it's going to hurt you and it does it does it hurts me to hear you hum it so you know you've yeah got- i know it hurts me it hurts me to hum it and i apologize <laughs> for not being able to give you a more comprehensive uh explanation of why music hurts you hmm. uh, in my experience you know <laughs> it just does dear jenny why does music hurt me <laughs> <laughs> it's a mystery I've dedicated my life to exploring, but not really solving. You know what I mean? God. Oh well. Can we go far away
2: from music hurting us for a moment uh, and go instead to Mac McDade uh, delighting us, and I believe giving yes. you full body chills one or two times? Uh, it's true. In her conversation it's true. here, the thing about bringing new voices into the universe is that we're like five seasons in, so it's it just feels like we have so much to cover. <laughs> bring somebody (laughs) into the universe we're like okay um we can't do it all right now but like can you tell us some uh and mac had two really specific things that she wanted to talk about in season five one was her feeling on spike uh which you know i mean that's exciting uh and the other is her feelings on buffy as a character in this season and i just i think it's really this whole episode like assembling it um producing it has been really cool because it is a testament to the fact that we all intake media in this show in particular so many times, right? Like this show is a show that nearly anyone listening to this podcast has consumed more than one time in more than one experience and more than one period of time in our own personal lives and our own personal journeys. And so it's just really fun to like assemble something like this because it really showcases how many different experiences we can not only have individually, but how many Uh, Different experiences like many different people can have about a given character or a given thing. So just really stoked about Mac being in the conversation. And, uh, yeah, Jenny, if you feel like ready for it, we can meander on over there. Please. Today's episode is brought to you by Regal Cinemas.
0: And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Wow! (laughs) (laughs) It was always just a matter of time until this moment. (sighs) Hi Mac. Hello, hello, hello. I
2: think that this is the first time that you are gracing our listenership's ears with your voice in the podcast proper space. Is that correct?
4: That is very correct. This is my first time (gasps) here.
2: Welcome, welcome to all of these ears and uh, you know I just feel like let's let's Give the listeners an idea of what you're here to do today.
4: Um, <laughs> I have a lot of very big feelings about Spike, uh, oh. and particularly lot of his, sense. his arc uh, in this season. And also, I have some pretty big, pretty big feelings about Buffy's general glory behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. Aha! <laughs>
2: really on theme. Really on theme for where we are. Very important. It's like super important to get these feelings um off your chest. You know, before we roll over into season six. So, let's. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with Buffy and your Buffy feelings, or Spike and your
4: Spike feelings? I think we can start with Buffy feelings because I think it includes more characters, specifically with Willow. Buffy fears magic that she can't control and doesn't understand and cannot help her like if it's not in service mm. of her she doesn't like it and can't handle it mm. So like she knows giles mm. and his magic because it's from the watcher's council and it's from books and incantations she's fine with anya's because it's demon-based magic and you know it's mostly used to help her etc but willow's magic has never been about buffy you know in fact the whole terra stint mm. uh had nothing to do with her and it was secret and that's also the thing that makes her most powerful by the time we get to the gift willow has taken on glory and and lived to tell the tale but like didn't mm-hmm. take her on with a bunch of chants and whatever she's throwing energy balls at a god mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. she's talking telepathically with spike and i'm sitting there going i'm sorry we're doing what now miss willow <laughs> like... uh-huh. and then finally i mean she reaches into glory's head and unmakes a part of her <laughs> wow, when you put it like that, I have to rub my arms seriously <laughs> because
1: I feel very weird. Exactly,
4: and Buffy is still perpetually like either blows her off or whatever because she can't control it. So, I'm like again, if you stop being dramatic and like upset that it's not about you, I'm pretty sure you and Willow could have figured out how to not mm. worry if you stop just being so dramatic.
2: Well, and one of our one of our like long-standing conversations which we really haven't hit on as much in season 5 is about Buffy. I mean, really Buffy and Willow's friendship, especially in the beginning, was completely one-sided. Like even when you take mm-hmm. magic and slaying out of it, Buffy um really kind of takes from Willow what she needs and only recently has begun to make a bit of space for Willow in ways that seem better than they were in the last few seasons. But it's interesting to hear you talk about the magic element because, yeah, it's like, if it's for ser- if it's for saving the world, then thumbs up. Uh, if it's
4: not, then... Mm-hmm. Like, she resold Buffy's boyfriend. And that was before she became a hardcore magic-like person. It's like...
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Maybe maybe buffy is subconsciously holding a really intense grudge because willow is responsible for the fact that buffy had to kill angel after he got his soul back
4: whoa what if she's chewing on that and she doesn't even know it because lord knows they all need therapy to work through that stuff
1: i really <laughs> i mean you know season eight the
2: scoobies go to therapy please, please. I want to ask you a question because this is the first time that you're, you're here and you're talking to us. What are your, like you have v- uh very valid feelings on Buffy and her, and her drama. What are your feelings on Buffy overall as a character?
4: So my whole thing, because I often frame Buffy in terms of the white says heteropatriarchy, um, which is very much representative of the watchers council. And the thing with Buffy is even when she tells them goodbye, she still works within the confines of their structure and their ideals. Mm. As much as she mm. wants to be like, oh, I'm mm. so different. It's like, no, you just have backup so you're not dead. Like, you're still playing their game by their rules. <laughs> right. And right. that's what makes her so awful. It's like, girl, everybody else who stopped playing the game is so much better off. And I get, it's mm. very much like who are like, I can stay within whatever the shitty paradigm is to enact change. Mm-hmm. Like, at a certain point, baby girl, you gotta walk. But... <laughs> <laughs> And I, I really think it, it also kind of circles back to the way in which Buffy values people. You know, Kendra and Faith were fine because they were backing Buffy up. Think the sign, because even when she goes off to do her own thing, when she comes back, she is a type of power that Buffy is familiar with and she knows will be in service of her or whatever the cause is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, this is just all making me think about, like, Buffy is, as it is said within uh, the text of the show the chosen one, right? And like, I don't know if I've ever seen like a chosen one in a story that centers uh, chosen ones uh, be so into being the chosen one. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? If you think about comparatively, Harry Potter, he is like the chosen one of his story, but he's not like the best wizard at Hogwarts and he's not like (laughs) exceptional in that way. And he also isn't like, I'm the chosen one. I have to do this and it has to be done my way and I'm the only one who has the answers. Whereas Buffy really strongly takes that approach like she's always the sort of like commander that everybody's looking to. Like what are we going to do now, Buffy? And she takes it very seriously. Like that that is her mode as well, just just sort of saying like I am the one who has to have the answers. I am the one who has the answers. These are the answers. This is how we're going to do it. But that there there is this like weird sort of like limitation on who can suggest what, when, Mm, mm. or, you know, whose power is valued at what time. Something
2: that's really interesting, to Mac, hearing you talk about this, is that, like, my my brain, there's a part of my brain that resists it. And I, I bring that up because I think that people w- will listen and, and they'll feel that resistance. Well, like, but no, but, 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 Buffy, but, 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 right? <laughs> and so I just want to, like, speak to it because, you know, I think that there's a lot of talk in the show about, you know, we're given the enjoining spell where they, like, bring their powers together. So the, So it's spoken about, but the behavior... And the and yeah. the way that Buffy operates and moves through the space does not align with what we're like g- getting from everybody else and from the script even, yeah. um, you know, from from Giles's words and from the Scooby's words and and I think that's like a really important uh thing to look at because it's easy especially. Uh especially as like a cis white woman watching a show that centers a cis white woman to be like, "Oh, the chosen one." And like, she blah 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 and to not see the pieces that you're pulling out and that you're pointing out um and to feel that resistance, you know, when you
4: hear it. So Oh yeah, it to yeah. be several rewatches to be like, "She's messy." <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mac.
1: Let's get horny. <laughs> Is that, is it time to get horny? Yeah, I mean, let's take this ship
2: uh, upon the seas of Sunnydale and uh, steer it towards the peroxide vamp in his trench coat with his black nails, because I know you have a lot of feelings. I'm certain that you have enough feelings for more than one conversation, but
4: will you tell us some of your season five (laughs) Spike arc thoughts? Everybody likes to say that this is where he begins his journey of redemption, Um, but they always equate it with Buffy, which I think is incorrect. Mm. Um, There's specifically a scene that I think it's on the Instagram, the Buffer Instagram, where he goes like, you know, you treat me like a man. And I don't think, like that's not about Buffy. like I Mm. Because she's obviously treated him pretty terribly. And even when he was human, like he knows when people are mistreating him. I think it very much had to do with the fact that she entrusted Dawn to him. Like Mm -hmm. that what he meant yeah he helps them out but he's chipped like he doesn't really have a lot of choice there right
2: right right he's
4: begrudgingly nice to everyone except john like he's always so careful and so gentle and she is so fully accepting of him in a way nobody else is
2: i mean and a case could be made that joyce uh is the other summers she uh, had uh, tea
0: with him
1: like She loved Spike. She loved him so much. (laughs) We do also see him like another big signifier of Spike's decency occurs after Joyce has died and he brings flowers with no card intending to just kind of like leave them on the
4: porch. And that's exactly it. it is. I think it's when people it sounds absolutely ridiculous because he's a vampire. But when people take him at face value and go, okay, yeah, you kill people, but also you're still William the Bloody, is when he has the most growth, right? And I think that's true in real life, right? If you treat people, mm. you know, gently and kindly, they'll often respond better and, you know, do better once they know better. And mm. I also think that, too, we, we put a lot of pressure on Spike unnecessarily, because Spike has never been, like, outside of being like again a little demon has never been inherently evil uh the way in which angel was angel wasn't mm. a good dude before he was turned as we've seen right right so that's why he was a horrifying <laughs> bad vampire <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> it's like despite being you know a, a vampire has always cared about Angel, and then Drusilla, and, you know, even when, he, again, like, when he kidnaps Willow, like, he's always been this very caring person, so, like, when he was turned, you know, he was a weakling poet. It sounds terrible, but like, that didn't change about him, because he wasn't mm-hmm. terrible to begin with. <laughs> hmm Which is why I think he was capable of the arc that he was, because, I mean, at the very end of the gift, it's not that he's afraid that he fails Buffy, it's he's looking in the eyes of this little girl who, you know, he's taken Mm. care of and protected and knows there's no more he can do and like that look you're just like oh that like Mm. that's the growth it's not Buffy it's not any of that it's like that little girl who accepted him no questions asked that he like knows is going to die because there's nothing left for him to do
1: I would like to respectfully request that you stop giving me full body goosebumps (laughs) thank you (laughs) You know, um,
2: this conversation is just making me think and and some of this maybe is like obvious, but it's just I don't know that we've ever said it so directly before that like um, Angelus and Spike as two vampires, you know, not only do we see the humanity, obviously, in all the ways that you've laid out, but also like Spike has always loved as a vampire um, and Mm -hmm. Angelus. Mm Did not. I mean, you know, you you can say that, like, he and Darla, ha- whatever, but it was not, um, like, rooted in this love place. It was rooted in a, like, killing-together, lust-only place, whereas Drew and Spike had much more than that and a much deeper level. And so I'm just, like, thinking about them both now in these, like, bigger brushstrokes of Spike's empathy and uh, ability to sort of, like, pay his respects to Joyce. It's like, when you think about Angelus, like that wouldn't exist on his plane of anything. Um, And so it's just interesting to think about it side by side.
4: Yeah. Like humanity was forced on to Angel. Mm -hmm. Mm. Like Spike has always had his humanity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And even like, you know, even Mm -hmm. when you think about him, like killing the Slayers, you're like, you know what? He probably had some feelings about that because so far we've seen him, like when he's had to kill other people, have feelings, whether good or bad, in a way Angelus never did. Yeah, like I said, I have a lot of Spike (laughs) feelings.
2: Yeah, well, you know, (laughs) lucky for you, rumor has it that Spike might be around in the future of uh, Buffy the Vampire (laughs) Slayer. So, um Mac, it's been so great to talk to you, Um, especially like, you know, we haven't, we haven't gotten the chance yet to like have a bunch of Buffy, Spike fun. Uh, And so this has just been a a treat. Uh, And you need to come back and, and hang out with us in season six and tell us, Oh, can't wait to hear all of your feelings about season six, Mac. I'm sure that as a listener, you know uh, who Mac is at this point because Mac, you've been working with us for several months now, but please go check out uh, all that Mac does. You can join our anti-racism reading and discussion group. Mac is facilitating uh, three books. Um, we're focusing on one, but three books for October session. So you can learn about all of that and Mac uh, at com slash just keep fighting. Also, Mac, do you want to tell them uh, where, to fo- where to find you on social media or do you want them just stay the fuck away
4: (laughs) (laughs) uh you can find me on mac mac talks back m-a-c-k-m-a-c talks back on instagram and on twitter i am mac mac talks back but there's no a in talks so yeah follow me on twitter or instagram i post lots of things Um, some of them are silly. Some of them are Buffy. Some of them are just wild. So
2: they're, they're great. I've been, I feel like, you know, I followed you for a while, but I think I've been like, I must've been liking more of your content. So now it's coming to me more and I'm like, Mac is you know, you're just, you have a (laughs) lot of, um, commentary on pop culture all the time and it's really (laughs) fucking great to read. So follow Mac. Everyone's going to hear from you and Alba in just uh, like a week or so. You're going to do a special episode with Alba about your time here. But um, we will see you back in this feed in season six. Thank Thanks you, Matt. for having me. Hell yeah. Mac! Mac. 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 Come on now. Talking to Mac about Buffy is one of my favorite things in the world it's a light um so thank you mac Uh, as mentioned at the top of this episode you can hear mac and alba talking more about their work with us next week september the 16th you should definitely tune in to that conversation absolutely We have just a few more emails for you before we get into our conversation with LaToya Ferguson. That is where we're going to end Ah! this episode, symbolically looking to the future of season six and season three, uh, season six of Buffy and season three of Angel. I didn't mean to go off on this tangent right here because I like now I'm in the middle of a sentence and that sentence is is siphoning off into this whole other sentence. But I believe Uh in uh all of us to follow me. I just started watching Angel Season 3 in, like, preparation. Yes. And I texted you something that, uh, the other day, didn't I? I texted you?
1: Yeah, you texted me a hot take. I
2: texted you a pretty fucking hot take, which was I'm six episodes. Your hot take was... <laughs> I'm six episodes into Season 6 of Buffy, and I'm three episodes into Season 3 of Angel. And I was like, yo, Jenny, I think I like Season 3 of Angel better than Season 6 of Buffy. What? Wild. Wild. Hot take. So hot. You can't even touch it. Also, listen, no, no, no. I know what comes. I know what comes in season six of Buffy, but like at this point, season three of Angel is. Mm-hmm. wow i'm like losing my shit it's so good so it may it may wind up we were nice. gonna have you know latoya with a, a rotating um cast of incredible co-hosts but i might just elbow them all out of the way and <laughs> take over season three because i have a lot of i have a lot to say anyway um before we get there see i'm now parting the sentences no i'm rejoining the sentences to leave off where i mm-hmm. left mm-hmm. off
3: <laughs> i gotta go good lord <laughs>
2: Didn't
1: you have an email to
2: read or something? Okay, I have. You're right. I do have an email to read, and it's in defense of me and Don. Uh, it's from Roderick. <laughs> <laughs> Roderick says Hey, I just wanted to jump very enthusiastically on the capital D defending Don train and mention that Don. Also put together, just from Buffy's expression, that she was going to sacrifice herself. Dawn is deeply intuitive, compassionate, and smart, and I defy anyone who says otherwise. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Fuck yeah. In defense of Dawn, I I will tell you what, I'm going to be on this train. Stay on it. You can't get me off of it.
1: You stay on that train over there. (laughs) I'm going to read this whole other email right over here. Faye. Faye. Co-host of the of her Dark Materials, which is a his Dark Materials book and show. Yes, which I am on
2: next week. I believe next Monday I will be on discussing Jenny. Not only discussing my feelings, <laughs> this is good. You have to you have to look at the Zoom screen, Jenny. Not only discussing my feelings on his Dark Materials, but I also discuss uh, um, a little mishap that happened to the amber oh, gra- spyglass. Yeah, call
1: it yeah
2: that's a great story that involves me jenny and a kitchen knife in this trilogy of books so um anyway this email is from not so subtle
1: kitchen knife (laughs) yes faye writes i remember watching buffy in the uk on bbc (laughs) 2 as it aired although i think this was around a year after the u.s got it sky one got it earlier but as a kid we didn't have cable only the standard five channels that the bbc was included in I was around 10 or 11, and I remember them gearing up to the gift as if it was the series finale. So I watched it with that in mind, assumed it was actually the finale, and then just went about my life as if that was how Buffy ended. I genuinely only realized that there was a sixth and seventh season when I bought the DVD box set years later. What a gift. I just thought she died at the end, and that was it for all those years. Jesus fucking Christ. Faye. Faye! Faye! imagine like that's such
2: that's such a very specific experience and now that we've read it I'm I'm hoping that we find some allies for Faye who may have had similar yeah. journeys with the series Um, yeah and this is going to tie in I mean the reason that I um, put Faye's story in here and this next little note from Nyree is because um, Latoya has some feelings about series finales and mm-hmm, um, season mm-hmm, five mm-hmm. versus season seven so you know it's all going to tie in because as Jenny said, I am a producer. Nairi wrote in, I kind of would have been okay with Buffy ending here. Then I redacted some of Nairi's reasons because they are spoilers. And Nairi ends, it feels complete here. Interesting take. Interesting take. We will be able to weigh in on that take in two years. Uh Yes. (laughs) Can't wait. (laughs) Okay, the last listener experience of The Gift um, that I want to share... Is from Bryn. Bryn says, I was fairly young when Buffy first aired, but my neighbors up the hill had the box sets, and I was allowed to borrow them after Buffy began. That meant I was behind on the episodes, and I ended up watching the season five finale in my family room the day before Thanksgiving. Needless to say, by the end of the episode, I was an absolute wreck. As I was sobbing, I heard the doorbell ring. My aunt, uncle, and cousins were at the door ready for the festivities, and my mom was calling for me to say hi to them. Well, 11-year-old me steps desolately out of the room to see my family bustling about. They stopped and asked what was wrong when they noticed my less than festive demeanor. I managed to blurt out, I just finished Buffy. My uncle immediately dropped the luggage he was holding and went to give me a bear hug. He then said in a soothing manner, there, there, don't cry, death is her gift." (laughs) Uh... That moment always meant so much to me. I never forgot how comforted and seen I felt. Thank you, everyone at Buffering, for giving me a space to tell this precious story. Sincerely, Brynn. Brynn! It's so sweet! Her uncle! It's just so lovely. And also, like, I feel is... Symbolic of like all the things that we do here, right? Like, we feel seen, we feel seen here in our love and our emotions and our feelings mm. about Buffy. We get to feel like, you know, we share it with the community. So, anyway, yeah. Jenny, I think it's time to go to our third and final conversation for this Oh,
1: it's time episode. Do you like encyclopedic knowledge of an entire series and its spin off? Do you like. Big series finale thoughts? Well, you're in luck because LaToya Ferguson has a fucking armload of all of that for you right now. It's- and hey, we will be chatting with LaToya for the season premiere of Angel on Top, mm-hmm. which is going to be moving into our main buffering feed. So you will be getting weekly episodes from us in our sixth season. One week buff. One week out. One week buff. One week out. Out, out um. is uh, the spelling of
2: out. In case you're confused, is a o t, which stands for out. Angel. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> As someone who has had a long history of Cordelia feelings,
3: mm-hmm. we're gonna
2: have a lot to unpack in this season of Angel, and I'm like really excited about it. I'm really excited, Jenny, because Cordelia has a really great new haircut and um, yo, and Good a job. lot of emotional growth. So. I'm ready. I'm ready. But right now. Exciting stuff. Let us go to talk to the one, the only Latoya Ferguson. Latoya Ferguson. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) That is you. You're here to talk to us about the gift, but also just to like be here with us. We're so excited that in just a few weeks, you're coming into the universe to host Angel on Top. And um, if you listen to LaToya on anything Buffy tangentially related, so other episodes of Angel on Top, our episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you already know that LaToya, you are just a font of information uh, about these universes, and it's a beautiful thing to behold.
0: I would say it was because I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. But, like, I had friends and I was still just a big old nerd who fell in love with Buffy and <laughs> Angel. So,
1: it's none of my business. But, what? How do you know everything? <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us your secrets?
0: TV, especially TV and movies, but especially TV, it just sticks in my brain. I could watch an episode of television, like, for say, the WB. I'll use Dawson's Creek as an example. So Dawson's Creek, I also came into late. I didn't start watching until season five, on, like live on the WB. But TBS um, aired reruns in Syndication, so that's how I caught up with that. When it aired in Syndication, it played with the original music cues. So fast forward to streaming, DVDs and everything, mm. music replacement. Sir, uh, this is the thing people, a lot of people don't know. So Busy Phillips arc in the final season of Dawson's Creek a lot of it involves her singing covers. A lot of that is cut out. And people don't know this because of music replacement. And I, I, I can remember the, like, the exact music cues from like episodes. <laughs> and I can remember. So I like it's very jarring to me when the, it's replaced. Like music replacement is something I care immensely about. And I just get so upset when it happens.
2: We texted you about The Gift um, and you said that this episode specifically was one of the first that you ever saw. So I don't think in my brain I ever thought that you had seen anything out of order. Um, So can you tell us about the experience that you had watching The Gift and like where it falls in your Buffy uh, experiences?
0: Yeah. So the first season I actually watched live of Buffy was season six. And that's because... Wild! Right? (laughs) That's just wild. And that is because, uh, so in the summer before that, I had seen a few episodes of Buffy just like either like my WB or Fox affiliate just randomly. The three episodes were The Replacement, <laughs> I Was Made to Love You. I Was Made to Love You, but not the body. And then, oh. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and then I saw like, part of tough love but like the second half of tough love uh when they're at the cultural fair so i like i see tara's brain getting sucked out i didn't understand her relationship with tara i was just a kid like the willow and tara relationship i'm like i don't are they sisters i don't know and then (laughs) and then the gift those were the episodes i saw so like three and a half episodes i'm like well this show's great (laughs) and then fx started doing buffy and syndication like from the Mm. beginning in order I mean, you know, I don't know that people understand anymore the commitment that
2: you have to make, that you had to make to catch up on a show before a new season started,
0: before the time of everything was on demand. Like, it's true.
2: True fans need only apply.
0: Yeah, FX was very, very helpful. Kind of like TBS was for me with Dawson's Creek because like I just knew I knew the schedule, knew when the episodes aired. If I missed it like in the evening, I could watch it in the morning before school. (laughs) Whereas like when I was watching it like in syndication on like my Fox affiliate or WB affiliate, I never knew what time these episodes were on. I would just change the channel like on a Saturday and hope it was on like at (laughs) two PM or something. I mean, there's
2: a couple of things that we want to dig into with you, but I think the first one is that this was like you said and also Latoya sent us both the wb's series finale advertisement like commercial and the upn's like fuck off buffy's coming back and now we're gonna tell everybody advertisement back to back um but this this episode was supposed to be the series finale initially um and you've talked to us a bit about your feelings on it as a series finale so so
0: tell tell all of them tell all of the ears I think that the gift is a perfect series finale, a perfect Buffy series finale. If I had to give up certain things in season six and season seven for that, I, I would honestly. Mm. That's that's my hot take. Whoa. Hot take. Yeah. So your hot Whoa. take and
2: obviously like right, we're not we don't we're not gonna spoil, but like your hot take is if you had the choice between this being the series finale or the series finale of season seven being the series finale, you choose you choose five.
0: Yes. And I would be giving up some, some big things. I I am aware of this. One other aspect about me, you know, getting into Buffy is that this was before, this is a few years before I knew I wanted to be a writer in general, but like something about Buffy and it's, it's writing, it's dialogue, especially like really drew me in. I would like go on BuffyWorld.com and, like, just look up quotes from Buffy. Even episodes I hadn't seen. And just, I'd have, like, no, I'd have Vampire Diaries full of Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> quotes. Yeah. <laughs> literal, the literal Vampire <laughs> Diaries. <laughs> I think the gift and part of the reason why it also makes a perfect series finale for this show is that it's the culmination of a, a near-perfect season of television, first of all, and, like, There's no fat that needs to be trimmed. Like, every little thing you didn't even think was going to be important, like uh, the Sphere or, you know, Olaf's hammer, just the Buffy bot, Mm. that's all, it, it all comes together. The Giles thing, and basically the story in general is just, it's like a perfect cap on that final discussion and lie to me, basically. While it's great to want to believe that Buffy, who has survived so much, like, gets a happy ending, doesn't die young like the rest of the Slayers. I think it's kind of more realistic that she, you know, she dies saving her sister. She dies saving the world. She saved the world a lot. I think it's probably th- the truest episode there possibly can be of Buffy. And for it to also be the 100th episode, that I think be, it's just everything about it is kind of perfect in a way that it sh- kind of mm-hmm. should be the end.
2: Mm-hmm. I love that because I've been like uh, reading a bit about our need for these like very happy endings. And, you know, I mean, the gift gives us it's not like Buffy just jumps off the thing and there's no like model. You know, it, d- it does give us some of the like hope and
0: belief that we need. But I th- I think another thing also I'm, I'm just thinking of it now about it possibly ending here is that it's kind of like one last F you to the Watchers Council, because what are they going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Buffy Buffy's dead. Faith's in prison and they're not bailing her out. <laughs> they might set they might send someone to try to kill her. It's not gonna work. So oh you're screwed, you assholes. <laughs> oh my god, I d I didn't even
2: occur to me that Faith was now in charge again. Yeah. Like that there's yeah.
0: <laughs> she's the she's the active slayer, you guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean everybody loves a good fuck you to the council. I just like to imagine that there are people listening who are, like, mad at me for saying this should be the the end of the show. And now they're like, maybe this should be the end of the show.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We're like, Victoria; we want people to keep watching it and listening to the
1: podcast. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's really great is that no matter how right uh, you might be or how satisfying of an end this might have been, we still have two more seasons to (laughs) plow through. Well, as a... Yeah, and to, and to
2: what you were saying, you know, I mean, you made it very clear that while you feel that the, the season finale of five would have been a better series finale, you said you're aware that it comes with, with some pretty big sacrifices. You know, like, yeah. it's not like an easy thing to just let go of a lot of the things that we're about to, to tackle. So
0: Yeah, it comes with sacrifices. And like I said before, it changes television fundamentally, too, if it just ended there. Uh, right. So... I'm just saying it is a perfect episode of television and a perfect series finale, but that there is more Buffy after that is also good because Buffy's great, you guys. Oh, my God. I know, another hot take, but Buffy's great. (laughs) Imagine imagine that wasn't your opinion and
2: we're like, welcome to the universe. (laughs) You mentioned... um, you know, lie to me as a piece of the arc, LaToya. And also y- you referenced in your conversations with us this choice with Ben that Giles makes in the episode. And so I'm wondering, we talked about it a bit in our episode. It was sort of like one of the bigger themes of this idea between what makes a hero a hero and what does what decisions does Giles need to make. Um, but I, I would love to hear you talk on that um, from, from your vantage point.
0: Uh, well, first of all, like imagine... 12, 13-year-old me watching this only having seen a few episodes and then seeing, like, the dad character (laughs) murder this cute boy. (laughs) Hell yeah. That was an awakening of sorts. What kind of awakening? I'm still not sure, but... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's proof that, you know, these characters can make the hard decisions that need to be made whether Mm. it's you know giles killing ben because that's what he has to do or anya holding that bat the way she does because that's what (gasps) she has to do
1: (laughs) for all of us (laughs) you had sort of like casually posed the question of like okay yeah giles had to do this because no one else would have but could anyone else have and i was just thinking about it and i think anya is a good example of somebody who i think maybe could do it. I think she could have killed Ben. I think she's completely. So is men. making
2: an incredibly skeptical face right now for those who buying
1: it. I think the last On time. She's very practical. She's I, very
0: pragmatic. I think the last time she could have done it was maybe in season four, but post that, mm. no. Too much humanity in her. Mm. Too much mm-hmm. realizing what, like, the, the worldview of the Scoobies. Whereas, you know, Giles has lived, like, as a human. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Anya's lived, but like as a human, Giles right. has lived, you know. The emphasis makes sense in my head at least. Yeah, no, I'm I'm there with <laughs> do you. Do
1: you think um do you think Angel would have done it?
0: Yeah. I think Angel and Wesley would have done it. I don't think Gunn would have done it. I think I'm on the fence about Cordelia. Oh god. Cordelia,
2: definitely, like, by season... By the end of this season, maybe. Yeah. Right? Wow. 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 Angel, Angel I think, is a no-brainer. I mean, Angel, for all of his, like, brooding and... and... You know, huffing and puffing and poetrying about. Um, He did always have like the the firm. I think he always had like that the firm hand when it was needed. Of like, nobody wants to do this, but I've been around for two hundred and forty-one years. I've been in hell dimensions. Fuck it, you know, I'll do it. (laughs) Yeah,
0: he would, of course, beat himself up about it afterwards. But he would do it.
2: Actually, maybe that's
1: just even for the mill. Yeah, I was going to say maybe more, more right. He He, might be running out of stuff.
2: (laughs) He just has like a chest in the corner where he keeps
1: like backup
0: fucking brood material. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, more books to read in the dark.
1: <gasps> Wait, do we think Angel has a vampire
0: diary? Surely, I mean, he has a vampire sketchbook. We know this.
1: <laughs> oh yeah,
0: literally. I, mean... I
2: was exa- I was coming here to say the exact same thing
0: for sure. Many vampire sketchbooks. <laughs> I mean, huh. there are like the vamp- like the Vampire Chronicles and stuff. So that, that like he doesn't need to write his own Vampire Diaries because everyone else has. But like, doesn't he, Latoya? <laughs> Do you think Angel cares if it's been written before?
2: Don't you think he's he's the kind of guy who just really feels like it's happening to him for the first time in a different way?
0: Well, no. At uh, well, least Angelus is such a narcissist. He would loved he loves reading about himself. So he's not going to write it <laughs> about himself. <laughs>
2: That's true. I think that Angel I think that Angel has a, a vampire diaries that are his feelings, not history, not like a historical account of his yeah. existence, but more like, you know, I was I was eating rats dude, like I, you know, it's...
1: huddled in the back seat of a car in Los Angeles, parked in a driveway of a high school, staring at a girl with a <laughs> lollipop, scrawling, I have to know her. I have to. The risks then... are great, but I I must.
0: <laughs> Jenny, yeah, I, I see like, you. I see you, Jenny. A year later, <laughs> just like passion. I mean, we.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Surely the whole voiceover for the episode passion is it written down in a vampire diary somewhere. <laughs> yeah.
2: And I'm sure I've already made this fucking joke, but Angel's Diary, he also burns the edges ever so slightly. Double dramatic effect for him because of the threat of fire, but also the dramatic effect we all got in the 90s when we did it to our poetry. Agreed. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Fucking LaToya... uh I'm speaking on behalf of Jenny and I and saying we are so fucking excited to jump into season three of Angel with you for, I mean, many reasons, but God damn it, if this isn't one of them, I can't wait to talk to you about Angel's diaries and (laughs) (laughs) on that note, LaToya, always a joy and a pleasure. Thank you for bringing us your thoughts
0: on the gift and storytelling and all those things. I do have a question, though, because I haven't gotten to do it yet. Can I howl with you two? <gasps> I haven't gotten a chance to do
2: it. Oh, <gasps> my God. That's right. Because the episodes you were on didn't have a howl.
1: I would love um, nothing more. I would be fucking honored. Uh, I hardly feel qualified to howl along with you. But you will be adding an incredible amount of howl cred to us. <laughs> Till next time. Um, Hell yeah! Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world.